0: All right, let's all stand for the reading of God's Word. We are going to read um, 1 down to 11, just to get some context. To God's Word, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, and escape the corruption in the world caused by every evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities In increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind, and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. You may take a seat.
1: Nice All right. So it's been awesome studying and preaching through. First Peter and now beginning in Second Peter. And I feel like I've been hanging out with the apostle for a little while here, and it's been really really helpful to my own soul. And one thing I've noticed uh, before I even get preaching here. I don't know how people do it without being in the word. I don't know how they make it. Cuz I know without the word I'd be so far distant, I'd be so far gone, I'd be like the rip current that takes you out before you know it. You look at the shore and you're like, "Where where am I?" So uh Praise God he's given us his word. And we're going to start taking a look at that this morning. Let's pray one more time. Father, we do pray for the illumination of your Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that we would be among those who receive your word and put it into practice. That we would be the good soil that bears fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, or 100-fold. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would grant this to us in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. All right, so last Sunday we actually looked at verses 1 to 3. That's about as far as we got because they did a long introduction. And uh, can't go over that ground this morning because we got a lot more to cover. But we basically saw that believers received a genuine faith. It's important to understand that because that's the false teachers were saying that their faith wasn't genuine. Secondly, we need to see we saw last week that that genuine faith was proclaimed by a genuine apostle. Peter's the real deal. He's an official servant, an official sent one of the risen, ascended Lord Jesus Christ. And the last thing we saw is that this leads to a genuine knowledge of Jesus Christ by his grace. So if you're a believer here this morning, you have a genuine knowledge of God. It's the real thing. Peter wanted a shore the people of God of that. We also saw, and this is very important, that the main purpose of the letter is to set before Christians, believers, the elect, the God-given prescription for spiritual stability in the face of a multitude of false teachers and spiritual shysters. And we talked about last week one of the most important things that a pastor could want for his people is stability in the Lord and in the gospel. And I left you with a little cliffhanger last week. Um, and I, as I pointed out, two seemingly contradictory truths. These are the two things I pointed out, and then I just left you hanging. So if you were here last week, hopefully there's going to be a little bit of a resolve to that. And the, the two things I pointed out was two things. First of all, God has given us all we need for life and for godliness through our knowledge of Jesus that's good news. But the second thing I point out from this text is that we must make every effort to add to our faith the list of things outlined in verses 5 to 7 if we expect to never fall irreparably and receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So listen, the things we're going to be talking about as we go through 2 Peter these things are a matter of life and death. They're a matter of heaven and hell. Second Peter is not for the faint of heart. It's the real deal. And you know, when you might realize your time is short with folks, every word counts. And that's what we saw last week. Peter, The Lord made it clear to Peter he's about to leave this body and to go be with Jesus. And so he, what he says in this epistle is absolutely important. There's no fluff. There's no extra words. And when I want to pause here and make it very, very clear, because I, I keep talking about falling. Peter talks about falling, being unstable. And I want you to understand what he means by that, or else I, uh, you're not going to get the full message here. I want to pause and I want to make it crystal clear what Peter says, that if you do these things, you will never fall i got to talk about that before I even go through the, the passage. He doesn't mean, listen, brothers and sisters, he doesn't mean you will never sin grievously as a Christian or have any serious spiritual wipeouts or moral failures along the way on your Christian pilgrimage. He can't mean that. What do I mean by that? Because let's take a look at Peter. <laughs> right? He had his ups and he had his downs. He had successes, he had failures, and he had some serious blunders and spiritual crashes. I'm sure he never forgotten, and I don't think anybody here could ever forget his threefold denial of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Three times, I don't know the man. And the Rooster crowed, and it says he wept bitterly because Jesus looked at him. So John tells us right when it happened. I'm sure he never forgot when he was used by as the voice of Satan, and his Lord Himself had to rebuke him and say, "Get behind me, Satan!" I'd say that's a spiritual wipeout, wouldn't you? That's a little bit of a fall. And there are always these people. Well, that was Peter before Pentecost. Once he received the Holy Spirit in its fullness, then he was smooth. No, not really. Because all you got to do is go to the book of Galatians. Remember the book of Galatians that Paul wrote? And he said he had to rebuke Peter publicly to his face because he was not acting in a way in a manner that was becoming of the gospel. Because when Jews came from Jerusalem, he was eating with Gentile Christians, no problem having fellowship. And then when these certain Jews came, all of a sudden he withdrew himself from his Gentile brothers and sisters. And Paul said, I had to rebuke him to his face. That must have been a little bit embarrassing for the apostle Peter, wouldn't you think? Three years eating, walking with Jesus, learning from Jesus. And still he had to be rebuked. So Peter's not saying that we're never going to fall. We're never going to sin again. We're never going to make spiritual mistakes. Obviously, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's the prayer we're to pray. Rather, Peter's talking about, listen, this is important. Peter's talking about falling away from Jesus completely. Like the false teachers he describes in chapter 2 have. Where we have some of the strongest language in the whole Bible, not just the New Testament. It compares with Old Testament. Which, by the way, is always interesting to me. Everybody picks on the Old Testament. There's plenty of stuff in the New Testament that talks about judgment. No, Peter wants us to listen. Here's the thing, and it's beautiful. It's also the message of Hebrews, which I right but well, we got to end well. That's what Peter wants. Back to my cliffhanger question. Hey, when is he going to get to it, right? Well, which is it, Pastor? We have everything we need, or we need to make every effort to add to our faith goodness and goodness knowledge, etc. Peter seems to be saying contradictory things within the space of a few sentences. Well, I want to point out something that's super important because we can pick on Peter and not realize we could say the same thing about Paul's epistles. Listen to me. That great, you know, I, I always say my favorite book of the Bible is Ephesians. And then dummy me, I found out like everybody says that, right? Well, most people, I meet so many people, I'm like, oh, I guess I'm not alone. Well, let's take Ephesians, a lot of people's favorite. In chapter one, verse three, the apostle Paul tells us we've been given, that is, we have given, that is, we have been given in the past, every spiritual blessing in Christ. You get that? We got it all in Jesus. We don't need nothing else. Then in chapter 4, verse 3, Paul says this, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Here's the question, which is it? We have everything, or we have to make every effort to add? You following the question? Some of us don't read deep enough to even get the right question. And that's why I'm belaboring a little bit this morning. We need to come and we need to, to seek the truth from the Scriptures. And pay attention. The question isn't an unimportant one. We have to get it clear in our hearts and minds. We can't go through our Christian lives with this fog in our head. What's at stake here is the very stability of our spiritual lives. I think that's kind of important. The Apostle Peter wouldn't tell us to add certain things to our faith, so that we can never fall. If falling, listen, here's something I want you to hear. If falling were not a real possibility. And I'm speaking as Calvinist. I'm speaking as someone who believes in God's sovereign grace. Obviously, Peter believed in this. He's not saying that true, genuine believers sovereignly chosen by God can lose their salvation. He's not saying that and be utterly lost. But what he is saying is clearly spelled out in verse 10. Listen. Listen to this. The other day I said to somebody, yeah, making our calling and election sure. I'm sure you heard that many times. This was a seasoned believer, and they were like, what? So I guess we do need to preach this text. I thought it was more familiar than I realized. It isn't as familiar as I thought. So listen to verse 10. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. You hear that? For if you do these things, you will never fall, etc. We'll get to that later. In other words, adding the qualities mentioned in verses 5 to 7 ensures us that we are the called and we are the chosen of God. And it safeguards us from falling away utterly. See, here's the thing. This is the scary thing. and Some fear is good. Okay, Some fear makes you do the right thing. I'm afraid of getting hit by a car. I'm not going to walk out the street without looking both ways. Can I get an amen? The false teachers that Peter mentions in chapter 2 had a certain kind of knowledge of Jesus on some level. Know that. And later, they fell away from it completely. Now, if that sounds crazy, can you think of one of the 12 where that happened to? His name was Judas. He fooled everybody for three years. On some level, he had a knowledge of Jesus, right? Now look with me at uh, chapter 2, verses 20 to 22 for a second. And I want you to read what Peter says about the false teachers, because this relates to why he wrote what he wrote to to us, believers, in chapter 1. He says this about them, warning us not to listen to them or follow in their ways. He says, if they, these false teachers, have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were in the beginning. Listen, it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. I told you this is strong language, didn't I? So let me explain something. Peter is not saying they were once saved and they had a saving knowledge of Jesus. Then they lost the salvation they once had. Now, I could turn to one cross-reference, and that'd be 1 John. You remember 1 John chapter 2, right? Verses 18 and 19. When when John is talking about the false teachers, who he calls the Antichrists, he says this. If they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But what? Their going showed, what's the answer? They never belonged. You get that? But listen, I don't have to go to John. I'm going to stick with Peter. And I'm going to prove to you that he's not saying that people can lose their salvation. Notice the two Proverbs he quotes to make his point. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. Those men never had a real change in nature. You get that? They were pigs, and they showed they were pigs because they went back to the mud. You get that? No, they just had their inner nature revealed. What Peter is saying is this. We have God's great and precious promises. Listen, this is what he said in the text we read, that Pete read earlier. We have God's great and precious promises so that through them we can participate in God's nature and notice, escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Since that's the case, Peter says, therefore, since that's true, add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control. Remember what Paul says? The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to live what? Self-controlled and upright godly lives in this present age as we await the blessed hope, the coming of our Lord and Savior. See, they're on the same page. That's why in verse 5, for this very reason, Peter says, since we have these things, these great and precious promises, since all these great gospel truths that we're going to talk about in a moment, verses 3 and 4 are true, since these are true, listen, here's the thing. We often, for those of us who understand we're saved by grace and not any work we can do, those of us who know we are justified not by any works of our own, but through the perfect work of Jesus Christ and through faith alone, Sometimes we, we fail to understand we are called to make every effort. You get that? Christians, we are not to be do nothings. Jesus didn't save us so that we could say, Hallelujah, we're saved. Now I can go do, you know, hey, Sarah, Sarah, Akuna Matad around. You know? Here's the great news God preserves his saints. Can I get an amen? We're going we're to have that the great blessing at the end. Um, he will keep us, right? He will do it. Amen. But it's just as biblical to say, God's saints persevere. God preserves, we persevere. That's biblical. Now here's what, what Peter's saying. The Christian life takes effort. Remember I asked you earlier if you believed what you were singing about, battlefield? And I heard almost everybody, yes, amen, yes. Well, that's what the Bible says. We're on the battlefield. The Bible says, fight the good fight. Not sit the good sit, not sleep the good sleep. Run the race with perseverance. Not sit on the sideline and cheer <laughs> other people on Yeah, you go, boy. There's a lot of those sideline Christian people. You with me? They love telling us the right way and the wrong way to do evangelism, but they ain't doing no evangelism. Oh, I don't like your preaching, but hey, they ain't out preaching. I don't like the way you pray. How often you pray? We read it earlier, by the way. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it's God who's at work within you. If you're a believer, you got God on the inside. Listen, a couple of. Uh, Proof text here. Colossians 1, 28 to 29. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. And then Paul says this. This is the champion of grace, by the way. Uh, the Apostle Paul, in my mind, is the champion of grace, okay? But then he says this. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which is so powerfully it worked in me. It worked in me. How do you know God's powers at work in someone? They're working. 1 Corinthians 5, 15, 10. But by the grace of God, Paul says, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, listen, but the grace of God that was in. Bottom line when grace is at work, we get to work. Not to earn God's favor, right? Not to merit salvation. We could never do that. We received a faith as precious as the apostle, as a free, free gift. Yet our faith is not idle. Because Peter was not dealing with legalism with these false teachers, as many of the other epistles were, like Galatians and others, Romans, Ephesians. Peter was dealing with folks who were teaching and living license. You see the difference? Legalism says do all the right things so that you can earn God's favor. You can make Him love you. You can earn a place in heaven. Unbiblical, heresy. But so is license, which says we got God's favor, so live it up. Live in sin. It's okay. Zwingli once said this. This is the only quote I ever use from this particular reformer. i, I, I got to look for some other ones. So always Calvin and Luther for me. But that's all right. Zwingli said this, and it's a good one, so it's good enough. He says this. Our confidence in Christ doesn't make us lazy, negligent, or careless. But on the contrary, it awakens us. It urges us on. And it makes us active in living righteous lives and doing good. There's no self-confidence uh, confidence compared to this. I mean, what can compare with true faith that connects us with Jesus? That is power. That's energy. It moves us to do something. It moves us to add goodness. That is virtue to our faith. And then to our virtue, it's knowledge. Listen, I know you all think you know, but you don't know enough. How do I know that? Peter says, you got to add it. got to add it so listen if we have these qualities which Peter by the way Pastor Pete is going to describe in great detail next week so hang in we're going to do that but when we, if we have these qualities in increasing measure Peter says it's going to provide us with three incredible incredible benefits listen to these benefits I know if you're a believer you want them because I want them. see how I'm excited this morning I am so excited because this stuff has just set me on fire really fed my soul. I'm like, yes. So listen, these are the three benefits. The first thing, if you add all these things, the first thing it's going to do, it's going to give you insurance against being unproductive and ineffective in your knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. How many people here want to say, I wasted my life? How many people want to say, my faith was ineffective and it produced no fruit? Hallelujah. Right, no. I want my life to count, and sometimes we think that means doing some incredible feats and you know some amazing thing. Actually, Peter tells us what to do if we if we want to make sure we're effective. Add goodness, add knowledge, add self control, add. Per- That's why I love this is stuff you can get your hands on. Can I get an amen? This is some crazy stuff. i got to be like Billy Graham and win billions of people to the Lord. Well, I still would love to do that, but that's not what the main thing is. Second thing it gives us, listen, it gives us insurance against apostasy. It makes sure we'll never fall away. That we're not phonies. We're the real thing. We're the real called. We're the real chosen of the Lord. And I'll tell you a lot, so we got insurance on all kinds of things. You get, you get all kinds of insurance. But God forbid you got all this earthly insurance, but you ain't got this one. This is the one I want for you and I want for me. And the last thing, and I can't think of anything better, period. It's not equal among other things. I can't think of anything better than this last one. We gain the assurance of a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what Peter says. I'm not saying it. He's saying it. I'm just, I have to faithfully deliver the message, the apostolic message. Notice that. I love the words there, a rich welcome. Like, man, we've been waiting. You know, I I mentioned this a few Sundays ago, but I still think of it. I think of when uh, Stephen was martyred. You remember that? And he says, he looked up and he saw the Son of Man standing at the right hand. And I told you, I really believe it was Jesus saying, well done. I've been waiting. I can't wait no more. You're coming home. That's a rich welcome. So here's something, that's why I'm belaboring some of this stuff. I think it's, I've been walking with Jesus since 1986. And I've heard too much nonsense in the church. And we need to know the truth. And we need to live by the truth, by faith in Christ. And I want you to understand something. Quietism is not biblical. Now, many of you, if I wasn't a student of theology, I wouldn't know what quietism is either. But let me put it this way. Let go and let God. That's horribly wrongheaded. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, just sit back. And you know what other phrase I'm sick of hearing? Oh, I'm doing it. In, I was doing it in my own strength. What the? Sorry. Really? As if we're to be sitting there struggling. With, was this in my strength? Was it? In, listen. Just do it. This is the one time Nike's got it right. Nike's got it wrong if you're relying on your if if you're relying on your ability to make God love you. But Nike's got it right. Stop trying to get yourself wrapped up in all this philosophy theology god says it just do it it's not in your own strength it's in the strength he provides we're going to see that in just a moment we can only make every effort because we've been made spiritually alive in christ remember ephesians 2 come on saved by grace through faith not of yourselves not by works we're creating christ jesus for what to do good works Also, 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. What do you think Peter means those who live? Those who have spiritual life in Christ. All right, so the Greek word uh, that's translated in NIV as three words, even though it's one word in the Greek, make every effort, carries the idea of earnestly, diligently, or enthusiastically, Peter uses it, listen, three times he uses that word in chapter one. I want to point them out real quick here. Verse five, make every effort to add to your faith. Then in verse 10, make every effort to make your calling and election short. And then there's one in verse 15 where he uh, refers to himself. I will make every effort to see to it that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Listen my brothers and sisters, both pastors and people of God are to make every effort. The the people, add to your faith the virtues listed in verses 5 to 7 and make your calling and election sure. To pastors, to remind you of these things until we breathe our last breath in this world and enter into the next. That's That's where Peter's at. You know, that's what loving the flock looks like. I want you to hear this. Any pastor worth his salt is going to be reminding you of the promises of God on a regular basis. He's going to know them well enough that he can expound them and bring them to your attention. Yes, we love you by baptizing you and your children, by comforting you when you're sick and suffering and praying with you and for you, spending time with you, officiating at your weddings. And if you end up going before us to meet the Lord by officiating at your homecoming, right? From the cradle to the grave, we love you in Jesus' name. But the main way we love you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is about is by reminding you of the great gospel truths and their necessary application to your everyday life. That's how we love you. That's how we pour ourselves out into you. And how we fulfill our charge. See, here's the thing. And I preach a sermon a lot to myself because I firmly believe in the doctrines of grace. But here's the problem. Child of God, the word obedience should never be a bad word to you. I know Pete's shaking his head because he knows where I'm coming from. If we preach gospel-centeredness and Christ-centeredness in such a way that obedience seems to be something in the periphery, we missed it, my brothers and sisters. Why did Jesus come? Listen, why did Jesus come? To do the will of him who sent him. To obey the Father to the point of death on a cross. And he says, now I did that for you. Now you come, you follow me. You take up your cross. You deny yourself you walk in obedience. By faith, of course. In the power of God, of course. You know, God promises to keep us to the end, but one way he does that is by exhorting us through clear directions on how to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and he empowers us to do so. You know, I pray a lot. The The, the verse at the end of... Uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, where Peter says, but grow in the grace of our knowledge and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I say, Lord, please cause so-and-so to grow in the grace. But you know what? I'm not saying it's it's wrong to pray that, but actually that's a command of something for you to do. You grow in the grace and the knowledge. You make every effort. Here's the point. We make every effort to do all kinds of other things, don't we? I don't say, well, I have the gift of playing guitar, so I ain't got to practice. How good of a guitar player am I going to end up being? Oh, I'm a gymnast. I can do all kinds of flips. When's the last time I practiced? Oh, 19, eight. No, well, that ain't going to cut it. Why, when it comes to walking with Jesus, all of a sudden we don't want to put any effort in? That's wrong headed. Now, Pete does, Peter speaks, act like I really know. See, I told you I've been in the books. Pete, my buddy, Pete, Pete's, Peter speaks of the empowerment we have been given through our knowledge of Christ in verses three to four. And then he exhorts us on the basis of that to make every effort to grow in these godly, godly qualities he's going to mention. Next week, we're going to look at these qualities, but I just want to spend the rest of our time showing us the power that we have. Just the last few precious moments we have this morning. Look at me in verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us, notice it's a gift, His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now, I mentioned earlier, any adding to our faith that we do is simply a working out of the divine power that He's already given us. But notice here, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. You know, you got the power. I know I thought of that when I was studying. You got it. If you're a new creation in Christ here this morning, you got it. How did we get this power? How did God deliver it to us? Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. That's what the text says. Through knowing him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Here's the question. Do you know him this morning? I mean know him. I don't mean know about him like those false teachers. I mean, do you know him? Because if you know Jesus here's the mind bender, you know God. I think it was Philip that said to Jesus, just show us the Father, and that'll suffice us. Remember that? And Jesus said, Philip, have I been with you this long? Anyone who has seen me, mind blow, has seen the Father. I and the Father are one. No Jesus, K-N-O-W, no God. No Jesus, and NO. No God, NO. J.I. Packer, in his classic work, Knowing God, you knew I had a quote that we're talking about knowing God, right? He says this Excuse me. I walked in the sunshine with a scholar who had effectively forfeited his prospects of academic advancement by clashing with church dignitaries over the gospel of grace. In other words, this guy lost his academic position because he believes in the grace of God that's shown in Christ Jesus. But it doesn't matter, he said at length, for I have known God and they haven't. That's what I want to hear from all of you at the end. Yeah, they criticize me, they put me down, they persecute me. I might have lost a lot of all kinds of worldly uh, accolades and raises, but I've known God. That's what I want. This is, of course, what what really matters in the end, whether we've truly known God or not. And Peter's saying that true believers in Christ, those who have been called by his own glory and goodness, know God. And then notice this. Through his glory and goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil evil desires that's how his power is appropriated in our lives brothers and sisters it's through his great and precious promises and that through them we participate in God's nature in his likeness and we escape the corruption of of the world caused by evil desires listen the world is corrupt because it gives, itself, it, gives, it gives into, listen, its evil desires. Or at best, it tries to tame its evil desires through moralism or legalism. We know that don't work, don't touch, don't taste, don't do. The first thing that you're going to do is go ahead and do it. The world says your real problem is you're trying to deny your natural impulses and desires. To be truly set free, you have to give in to them, embrace them. Stop trying to deny who you are. You with me? You hearing me? That pretty much sums up the teaching of the false teacher spoken of in chapter 2. In contrast, Christians have real life and real freedom because we have escaped the corruption of the world. How? Through the very great and precious promises of God. Just two quick promises. The first promise is eternal life. You know what eternal life is? It's something that starts now and it continues in the new heavens and the new earth. Eternal life, Jesus defines it for us in John 17. It's knowing me and the one who sent. That's a great promise. And then the second promise is in 2 Peter 3, the promise of a new heavens and a new earth, the home of righteousness. That's the promise the false teachers, by the way, deny. And that's the promise that pushes us forward. You know, there's an old uh, hymn that I don't play piano, so we can't do it. But it's called Standing on the Promises of God. Standing on the promises of Christ the Lord, bound to Him eternally by love's strong cord, overcoming daily with the Spirit's sword, standing on the promises of God. Some old-timers out there, remember that one? Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior, standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God. It's through these great and precious promises that we participate in God's nature. That's how we grow in his likeness and in his image and how we escape the corruption in the world. David Helm puts it this way in his commentary. One can almost envision men, women, and children being being pulled loose from the muck of this world and ascending to heaven's skies solely by holding fast to the strong cord of God's word. If we need rescuing from this world, that will require holding even more tightly to the very great promises of God. That's why you need the Word. And that's why it's not good to miss church. You need the Word of God. It's not good to not be in the Word every day on your own devotions. In light of these things, we're to make every effort to add to our precious faith goodness and goodness knowledge and so on. And next week, Pete is going to open that up. But I'm going to end my message with an illustration I first heard when I was in Baltimore. Now listen, because this hopefully will sum it all up for you if you're still not clear. When you go to the circus, I don't know what the circus wants as a kid. When you go to the circus, one of the coolest acts is the trapeze artist. You know, they're flying. They're doing all these crazy hairy things. They're flipping around They're grabbing each other's hands. You're looking at them and you're saying, man, that's amazing. Well, do you know every now and then they slip or they miss? Their, and what happens? They plunge to the ground. But thankfully, at least in the circuses I know, there's a net. And that net ah, catches them. Well, listen, brothers and sisters, it's just an illustration. But in the Christian life, We're up there walking with the Lord, fighting the good fight, running the race, and sometimes we're going to wipe out. Sometimes we're going to risk stuff and we're going to mess up. Thank God the gospel of God's grace in Christ is that net. Amen? But now what happens if we go, we go to the circus, and all of a sudden you see a bunch of people in the net smoking pot, getting wasted, laughing, engaging in sexual immorality. And if you say, excuse me, what are you doing here? And they say, oh, I'm a trapeze artist. Now, would you say to them, I, I've been here all day. I haven't seen you on no trapeze. You know what you'd say to them, right? The thing that Doc Holliday says in um, Tombstone, the movie Tombstone, you ain't no Daisy. You ain't no Daisy at all. You wouldn't be, brother? In other words, you're not a trapeze artist. Don't fool yourself. The point is, as believers, we may fall a thousand times, and a thousand times, he's gonna restore us. Can I get an amen? But never are we to just lay down on that net and live any way we please. That would not be the biblical gospel way we can make every effort
0: because he made every effort on the cross amen